Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. If you're paying attention, uh, you notice that potentially that the passage today was read not out of the book of Matthew, right? And that's the first time in the history of this church that we've not, uh, we, we've not uh, read the passage uh, that came next in the book of Matthew. I've been preaching weekly out of the book of Matthew, except for today. Uh, and uh, that passage that you heard read by Cassie this morning is 2 Timothy 3. Uh, verses 10 through chapter 4, verse 4. Um, and uh, the reason is because I just, I, I felt like um, it would be a great idea to take a, a, a mini break from the book of Matthew uh, because of where we're at in the life of our church. Uh, I, I sense us being in a season of uh, circling the wagons, like I said before, enrolling people into the vision and the mission that God's put on our hearts. And uh, you know, I noticed that one of the most common questions that I get about our church, um, from anyone that I tell about it, the most common question I get about our church is like, um, so what kind of church is that anyways? You know, what kind of church are you? And uh, as we enroll people into the vision and mission of this church, I thought that'd probably be helpful to talk a little bit about, like, what are our values? Who do we see ourselves as, as a church? And so um, I'm going to preach for three weeks uh, on this, this series, this theme, what kind of church are we anyway? All right, so if it's okay with you guys, we're going to take a break from the book of Matthew. Um, you know that one of our values as a church is um, the Word of God. In fact, I'm going to talk about why uh, the Word of God uh, is a value for us, what it means, what the Bible is. That's what I'm talking about today. Uh, but, but give me permission to take a few weeks to kind of take a break from verse-by-verse verse preaching and, and do a little bit more of a topical series. Um, so for the next uh, few weeks, we're, we're talking today uh, about being obedient to the word of God, our first value, being obedient to the word of God, living lives that are obedient to what God says in the Bible. And then uh, the 14th, next week, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the spirit of God, our second value, being filled with the spirit of God. And then thirdly, August 21st, we're going to talk about being committed to the mission of God. So I you know, as a football fan, this year, August, seems like really perfect. You know, I learned to count my sevens multiplication tables because of football. So today, August 7th, next week, August 14th, 21st, 28th, four touchdowns this month. That's not bad, right? All right. So um, the 28th, Megan alluded to the 28th. I, I want to kind of warn you. Um, the 28th is going to be a celebratory service. Uh, this is, it does mark basically one year. Uh, since our church um, launched out and started meeting. Some of you were here when we first started. There were about five or six families with us, but most of you have come since then, and we just thought it'd be great to take the opportunity to testify to what God has done in the last year. So I would, I'm asking that if, you're, if you'd be willing to think of some stories that you could share or just ways, you know, highlights um, or ways that God's worked in your life over the course of the last year, through the life of this church, and then be willing to kind of stand up where you're at and just share, you know, um, about those things. You don't have to prepare any sort of 
sermon or anything like that. That's not what I'm asking you to do. You don't even have to come up here and share, but it's so encouraging when, when we tell each other, like when we share stories about what God's doing in our lives, it's so encouraging. And so um, I think it'd be super cool to do it that way. Maybe we'll sing a little bit more that day as well, but we'll pray, we'll sing, and we'll testify to the goodness of God. And we'll have a heart of celebration for what he's done here in year one, and we'll look with anticipation to year two. So that's the 28th. So anyway, I said already, uh, today I'm starting a series on what kind of church are we anyways? You know, and, and that question is like, it's, it's such a loaded question when I get it, um, because I, I don't know what kind of trap I'm going to step into by answering in any particular way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe you can relate. You know, like if I say, well, we're non-denominational, you know, for some people, that might mean something negative or whatever, you know, it's like a bad place to start. You know, if I say, uh, well, here's a, here's a good one. If I say we're evangelical, that might mean something really offensive to certain people. You know, the term evangelical has gotten tossed in the mud over the last number of years. And what does it even mean? You know, it, it can be hard to define. Um, so anyways, there's all kinds of other words that could be used to describe a church. You know, the church I grew up in, a Mennonite Brethren Church, called themselves Anabaptist. You know, there's Reformed churches. There's uh, Protestant is another label that could be used, which would work for us, meaning that we relate to the, the Reformation of Martin Luther. Uh, you, could, you could be a Catholic church. Some of you grew up and were raised in Catholic churches, Pentecostal, Methodist. You get the point, right? So what kind of church are we anyways? Well, I want to talk about, in this series, the three values of word, spirit, and mission. And so um, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with word. And I think that that's a good place to start because as I'm going to share, the word of God, the Bible, is our ultimate authority. It's what we look to, to know about faith and how to practice our faith. And my hope is that uh, in this season of enrolling, that many laborers will be added into the mission God has given us to see his kingdom extended in our hometown. And remember, he does the work of salvation, but he calls us to come alongside and gather in the harvest. And I'm telling you, guys, and gals, that the harvest is plentiful. There are many in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools who don't know anything about God, who don't have a relationship with God. And so uh, I, I'm hoping to enroll many laborers into the mission of God. So with that, let's jump into our first value and, and talk about what it means uh, when we say living lives that are obedient to the word of God. Okay, so I want to start by talking about what we believe about the Bible. Okay, now, uh, as I uh, embarked on this, uh, this message today and the study and preparation for it, I was telling Megan, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? You know, because to stand up here and like in 30 minutes, 40 minutes or so, tell you like all that could be said about what the Bible is and all that, I mean, it's pretty daunting, actually. It's incredibly daunting. Um, and so this, this won't be the most exhaustive lesson that you've ever heard on, you know, what scripture is and, and what it's not. Um, but hopefully it'll bring clarity to what, why we look uh, to the word of God and why we hold it in such a high place of importance. So we believe the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God. The inspired and authoritative word of God, sufficient in all matters of faith and practice opening statement. This is what we believe the word of God to be. We believe it's inspired. We believe it's authoritative. 
which I found out is spelled with an I, not an A in there between authoritative. And we also believe that the word of God is sufficient. It's inspired, it's authoritative, and it's sufficient. So what do I mean by inspired? You know, and because a lot of times that word inspire gets used like, oh, this uh, so-and-so really inspires me to do my best. Or, you know, I was inspired as an artist. Or, you know, like as a kid, I was inspired by Magic Johnson to play basketball a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Well, this is not the way that we're using the word inspired uh, in, in this context. What we mean when we say we believe the Bible's inspired, that it's the inspired word of God, it comes from this passage in 2 Timothy. You guys, if you have Bibles on your phone or you have the hard copy, you can even flip 2 Timothy 3.10 through 4.4. That's what I'm going to be preaching out of today. But when we say that the word of God is inspired... We're referring to verse 16, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. Some translations, maybe your translation actually says inspired by God. God-breathed, though, it's such a great phrase, right? Not in our English vocabulary, but in the Greek that the New Testament was written in, uh, the word theonoustos is the word that was used, and it literally means God-breathed. So we believe scripture, um, while the product of a a divine human interaction, we believe scripture is the words of God. Like, mic drop. (laughs) Go ahead and walk out into the streets of our culture and, and proclaim that message. The Bible is God's word to mankind. It's like a, it's a, it's a bold statement to make. It really is. Those of us who have grown up in the church, maybe we just like take it for granted But the idea that we believe the Bible to be God's words to us is a really bold statement. And it's interesting the way God chose to do it. God is uh, interesting in his methods. Interesting in that he's chosen to use really fallible human beings to do his really infallible purposes. So this is like, this is actually very miraculous. The idea that God would use human beings over the course of about a thousand years to write with the Bible Project, if you're familiar with the Bible Project, go look them up on YouTube, to write what they call a unified story that points to Jesus. Thousands of years, many, 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 many authors. One story, a unified story that leads to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is what we believe uh, the Bible is. It is God's words. It's a divine manuscript. You know, and I, I should have like brought my actual Bible today because this, this is like not cutting it for me to hold this up. These are divine words, you guys. No, but they are. Not just the physical Bible, but the words, the ideas, the heart behind Scripture is divine. This is why we study it. This is why we have such a value for studying God's Word. Maybe you've been to churches that did a lot of topical-based sermons. Man, we, I mean... We love the Bible so much, we're just going to open it up to a passage and study that passage every single week for the most part, right? And sometimes those passages say things that are hard. Sometimes those passages say things that are maybe confusing, difficult to understand. But we open up the word believing this is God's word to us. These are God's words. They're divine. They have something for us. And so we engage ourselves uh, with what we find there. Uh, now, you may be wondering, um, what, like, 
Like, what does it mean uh, that humans wrote a divine book? What does it mean that humans wrote a divine book? In, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20, 21, I think we get a bit of an idea to answer that. So it says in verse 20, above all, this is the Apostle Peter, we think, writing these words. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, so nothing written in Scripture, or prophecy being like a word of God written down in Scripture, came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Meaning, it wasn't the men's idea to write these words that they wrote. Instead, he says, verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, through, uh, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Human writers, divine author. This is the interaction between human and divine that we see here in Scripture. You guys, the Bible is divine. It represents God's words given to man. Well, it's divinity, you guys, means something for us. The second word, authoritative. These are God's words, not just man's words. So how do we respond to words that are divine? We respond by looking at them as authoritative. And uh, this idea of authority is like... Uh, is like um, if we're honest, we, we sometimes struggle with this idea of being under authority, you know? Let me, let me say it this way. Um, my friend Tom Shaw, some of you guys know Tom. He leads a church plant in San Francisco, and Tom is British, right? So if I ever quote a British guy, it's probably Tom, right? And Tom, Tom told me one time, he's like, you know, you Americans, your spirit is very independent, and he like, he's like, you know, think about the type of people that left Britain to establish their own country and then we're like, we don't want your help, you know? Get away. We're going to do our own thing. This is the American spirit, isn't it? There's a very, like, independent, almost rebellious spirit that lives inside of us as Americans, right? So I think if we're honest about our culture, man, we like our independence. I mean, there's a bit of it's like, hey, don't you tell me what to do. Freedom, right? This is like the American ideal. Freedom. So we got to be honest with ourselves that we live in a cultural context where independence and my own desire to do whatever I feel like is right for me to do is strong. And our desire to be under authority is, is probably growing weaker and weaker and weaker by the day. At least that's how it seems on Twitter. <laughs> in, uh, in 2 Timothy 4.3, so this end, the end part of this passage, um, the Apostle Paul, who's writing to Timothy... His, like, uh, mentee, right? He's mentoring this young pastor, Timothy. And this, this book, 2 Timothy, is one of what we call the epistles or the, the pastoral epistles, meaning Paul is writing to Timothy to tell him how to lead the church, right? And so in, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says this to Timothy, Paul to Timothy. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, right? Which means a true understanding of Scripture, sound doctrine. There, a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Does this not describe the culture that we live in right now? And I think at the heart of it is a, is a lack of willingness to put ourselves under the authority of anything, anybody else's ideas, and instead to live out our own desires. Well, we believe the Bible is our ultimate authority. This brushes up against the culture that we live in. 
We're not going to cave to our own ideas about what's good, what's right. We're going to weigh everything against the divine words that come from this book that we study. In Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4, uh, so we're going way back. This is like the First Testament, uh, the Hebrew Bible, Jesus' Bible. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4, it says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Here's the good news about submitting your life to the authority of God's word. He said, uh, it says in this passage that you may enjoy a long life. Why should you obey everything the Bible commands you? So that you may enjoy a long life. So that it might go well with you. God's word is good for us. Obedience, submission to this good authority is so good and so right. The third thing we believe about scripture is that scripture is sufficient. Okay? Verse 16 says that scripture is useful. So this is 2 Timothy 3.16. It says scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Hey, look, if it's just you and your Bible, you have what you need to follow God. You have what you need to know God. We learned this during the COVID pandemic, didn't we, when church got stripped away from us for a while. Listen, I'm here to tell you, you could still follow God. They can take away our ability to meet potentially as a government, but they cannot take away you and your Bible, at least not yet we got to fight for that as well, though, don't we? So, so scripture, you guys, it's accessible to all of us. This was God's intention. You know that the Jews memorized, in some cases, the entire Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Why? They didn't all have Bibles. They had to roll out scrolls, right? They couldn't just carry around. They did not have them in their pockets like we do, right? So they would memorize it. Why would they memorize it? Because God's word is sufficient for all. This is one of the things that defines us as a, as a Protestant church. The idea that you, even as an untrained person, have access to God's word via the scriptures. Scripture is sufficient. You guys, you don't even need me to get to God, to know God through the scriptures. You do not need me. Scripture is sufficient. Now, hopefully I help. Hopefully I encourage you. Certainly, I'm called to preach boldly and you're called to come, attend, and be part of the community of faith. I'm not saying you can do it on your own. I'm not saying that's how it was designed. But what I am saying is that scripture is sufficient. You don't need any man to stand between you and God. You have what you need as revealed in scripture. And lastly, scripture is sufficient as in the final revelation of God's word. We do not believe that there is more scripture to come. God's word has been revealed. We do believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us individually. But we would weigh everything that he says to us individually against our ultimate authority, scripture. Why do we believe that the spirit of God is active and powerful and still speaks to us? Because that's what the Bible teaches us. We hold a biblical understanding of even the spirit of God. Spirit, as you'll find next week, I'm going to say it over and over again. The spirit of God and the Bible are not at odds. They go together. And so scripture is sufficient for us. 
So that's what the Bible is. That's like my 10-minute little uh, lecture on what the Bible is. I'm totally sure that while the Bible is sufficient, that was not a sufficient explanation of what the Bible is. Um, and you may still have questions. You guys, I wanted to point you to a resource that I found this week um, called the Gospel Coalition website. I think it's gospelcoalition.org. Coalition has an A in there. It's spelled like coal. Anyways, um, if you guys, they have some great articles that I think make uh, really simple these ideas of um, inspiration, author uh, authoritative or authority, and um, sufficiency. So take a look at the Gospel Coalition um, to, to read more, and maybe you could nerd out yourself on what the Bible is. Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about is, like, why would we believe the Bible, right? Because you may have noticed that many in our secular culture, they will acknowledge that the Bible's a book, that it's even a good book, that there's a lot of good messages in it. But what many would argue is that the Bible is not divine, that it, it can't be actually divine. Well, I think there's some good reasons to believe that it is, and I want to give you a few of them uh, this morning. Um, the number one reason why I believe that we can understand the Bible as God's divine word is because the Bible says that we can understand itself as God's divine word. Okay, now this is going to be an interesting piece of gymnastics here, but I think it's really important. Um, the number one reason, go to the next slide, Gunner. The number one reason why we believe what we believe about the Bible is because the Bible says that that's what we should believe. What does 2 Timothy 3, 16 say? All scripture is God-breathed. The Bible, including the teachings of Jesus, the apostles Peter, Paul, etc., etc., believes itself. It makes an internal claim about itself to be the divine word of God. Super important. Now, I asked, uh, you know, I, I thought about this because the first word there, verse 16, all scripture. So what does Paul mean when he says all scripture? Put yourself back in that time frame. Paul did not have all 66 books of the, you know, First Testament. He would have called it the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh. Uh, he did not have that along with the New Testament sitting in the palm of his hand. So what does Paul mean when he says all scripture? What is scripture according to Paul? Because he says that all scripture is God-breathed, right? Well, if we look at 2 Peter 3, we get an idea because we know and we've studied as a church, did Jesus believe that the Old Testament was for us today and part of scripture? Absolutely. He quotes it prolifically. He says, I did not come to abolish the law, right? So we knew that Jesus believed in the entirety of Old Testament. He considered it to be scripture, but what about this New Testament, right? That's a little bit harder to figure out. But if we look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 16, we're going to see Peter referring to the writings of Paul. So some of you may uh, remember or have heard of this uh, little passage because Peter, the fisherman, he, he says of Paul that Paul's writings are difficult and hard to understand. He basically says Paul's kind of like fancy pants over there, you know? Um, and, and Paul was a learned man. He was trained in the Hebrew scriptures. He was very intellectual. Peter's just the old fisherman, right? So there's such a contrast between the two. But Peter says, anyways, he refers to the writings of Paul as if they are just as much a part of scripture as all the writings of the Old Testament. So this is important for us. The, the apostles in the New Testament, they knew that the writings that they were making, that they were uh, penning, they knew them to be on the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. So when, when Paul says all scripture is God-breathed, he is including the Old Testament and the New Testament writings. 
All Scripture is God-breathed. This is what Paul is saying in this passage, okay? Now, for those of you wondering, like, because the, the canon, we call it the canon of Scripture, those 66 books, right? Some of you are, have probably heard that the secular world has tried over and over and over again and will continue to try to take shots at the inclusion of these 66 books, right? Anybody have a friend that's a Mormon who reads a Bible with other books added to it, right? Um, there's even apocryphal writings that are sometimes included in Catholic Bibles, right? So, um, so how do we know that these 66 books, Old Testament and New Testament, are actually the Bible? How do we know that, right? And again, I can't give an exhaustive lesson on this. The Gospel Coalition has a great resource for this as well, an incredibly concise and easy-to-read article. But the bottom line is that the early church, as early as the first century A.D., so this is like right after the last writings of the Bible were done. 70 A.D. is about when the conclusion of the New Testament writings happened. By the end of the first century, the early church already had combined these 66 books and said these writings are scripture. These writings are God's divine word. So I don't know about you, but like that's pretty powerful, right? Because no one was around. There are no ancient writings that, you know, come up with these ideas that this, this wasn't a divine book. That's a modern concept to look back and to throw stones at the canon of scripture. In the ancient times, they, they accepted that these 66 writings were uh, canon, canonical, that they were in fact divine. So Number one reason why we believe the Bible is the divine word of God is because it says so. Number one reason, because it says so. We wouldn't want to draw a higher authority than the Bible itself, would we? Like, look, there's some good historical reasons to believe that the Bible is the divine word of God. There's some good rational reasons, some good like intellectual reasons to believe that the Bible is, in fact, the word of God. But we wouldn't want to look and make history a higher authority than the word of God itself. Do you understand what I'm saying? We look first inside the Bible. The Bible calls itself the divine word of God. There is incredible consistency within the Bible writings themselves. We call this idea internal consistency, right? So the next thing, I don't want to get too academic here. You're like, I thought you were just a PE teacher. I am. I got about this much room. Uh, otherwise, you'll, you'll start to find out that, that I'm, I'm less than that. Anyways, so I want to talk briefly about what it means that the Bible has internal consistency and then briefly about how the Bible has external reliability. So by internal consistency, you guys, basically what I mean, so again, this is like the second reason why we believe the Bible to be uh, the divine word of God. The first reason, because it tells us that that's what it is. The second reason, you guys, there's a ton of consistency um, within scripture. Remarkable amounts of consistency with, within scripture. In fact, did you know, uh, like compared to other ancient texts, the Bible is way more consistent in the way that it's been translated, rewritten, copied, 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 and handed down. So in that, in that time, they would write on these scrolls, right? And, and being a scribe was a really important thing. You had to really have your act together in order to be a scribe. So they would write on these scrolls the words uh, that they believed to be divine. And then they would pass these scrolls on over and over again over time. Um, you can imagine that it's possible that there would be like some copying mistakes, like clerical errors, right? Handed down from, uh, from one scribe to the next. Well, scholars agree that there, if you compile all those texts, the accuracy, the internal consistency in the writing of these texts is 99.5%, okay? 
So that sounds like a really high number. You're like, sweet, 99.5%, but what about the other 0.5%, right? Um, well, let me give you something to compare that number to. Uh, anyone ever read the Iliad by Homer, I think? Not Homer Simpson, but the, uh, the I think he was a Greek guy named Homer. Um, anyways, uh, the Iliad was preserved in the same manner. Scribes copied it generation to generation. Once the scroll fell apart because it became brittle, they wrote, you know, they copied it down, wrote a new one. What do you think the accuracy percentage of the Iliad is? Only 95%. So the Bible is, you guys, the most internally consistent ancient document that's ever been created. People look to the writings of Plato, Aristotle, etc., etc. Their writings cannot be like their, their writings are not more consistently, have not been more consistently passed down than the writings of Scripture. The, the Bible is incredibly internally consistent. Also, in the Bible, we talked about in the, in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, if you were here at this point, Megan, Megan taught, we were at the Plymans. This was like our first Sunday as a church, I think. One of our first Sundays at a church. I think we were at the Plymans. Anyways, Megan, uh, she, she did a little object lesson, how like the, the probability that just eight prophecies from the Old Testament were, uh, were confirmed uh, by Jesus' life, right? The probability of that happening by sheer chance and it's some ridiculous number of coins that you could spread out across the state of Texas and then, you know, it's two feet high and you, the probability that you pick out just the right coin uh, marked with a red X or whatever, that's like the probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled by chance, by sheer chance. Well, did you know there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus from the Old Testament? over 300, depending on how you count them, that have been fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Fulfilled prophecy tells us that this book is divine. 300 plus, those are just messianic prophecies. Forget the prophecies about Jerusalem, etc., etc. So 300 plus messianic prophecies. You guys, there's internal consistency. If because the Bible tells me so is not reason enough for you to believe that the Bible is God's divine word, you've got a really good rational argument just based on internal consistency. And then the next piece is external reliability, meaning like what do other sources tell us about the reliability of the Bible? There's tons of archaeological evidence that supports the accuracy of the Bible. Uh, some of you are familiar with the, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1947, they found some Dead Sea Scrolls that were like hundreds and hundreds of years older than the Masoretic texts or the, the Masoretic texts that had previously been our newest uh, or youngest like uh, editions of the scribes' writing, right? And these Dead Sea Scrolls matched up with accuracy to the Masoretic texts. Like archeology span and history supports this. I thought to myself, well, what if I was born in 1900? And I didn't have the Dead Scrolls. They were, I, what if I lived 47 years uh, before the Dead Sea Scrolls? This teaches a really important lesson about our uh, ability to persevere even when there's challenges and questions. You guys, I believe that in the end of time, history and science will all line up that God's word is his infallible divine word to us. It's just a matter of time before all these sources, external and internal, come into agreement. So just hold on. Not everything has happened yet, right? So anyways, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Also, you guys, if you look at secular history, um, there, there's like incredible, um, there's incredible alignment between what the secular historians wrote about the things that happened in the Bible. Like 
secular guys were actually writing about the things that happened in the Bible. Also, the original Bible uh, authors, they probably did it for fame and glory, right? No, they all died because they said that the things that are written in this book are divine. They gave their lives. Would you give your life for something you knew to be a lie? So there's a ton of external, internal consistency, reliability. You guys, I'm telling you, it is very rational to believe that the Bible is God's divine word to us. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, some of you are familiar, he's a pastor in New York, super intellectual. Tim Keller says, he's like, I have come to the conclusion that yes, while it takes faith to believe the teachings of Jesus in the Holy Scriptures, it takes more faith to believe that there is no God. It takes more faith to believe the other side of the story. And so I'm asking for a little bit of faith, but there's a lot of great reasons to believe, you guys, that the Bible is God's divine word given to us. All right. So maybe you've been to other churches where they're like, Bible, right? One of my friend goes to a church and I tease him like, that they believe not in the Trinity, but in the Father, Son, and Holy Bible instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know? And, uh, you know, sometimes you, maybe you've been to a church or maybe you've had the Bible almost weaponized against you. Anybody ever been in a setting where it's like, the Bible says you got to brush your teeth every night before bed, right? Whatever it is, th- there can be a spirit of harshness that sometimes develops in communities where we hold the teachings of Scripture to be, like, really, really, really authoritative. And so I want to talk about how are we going to try to walk this out? How do we walk out this view of scripture that we have that's incredibly high? We have what's called a high view of scripture. It's our ultimate authority. We believe that it's a a divine manuscript, right? It holds weight. And so, Gunnar, last slide. Um, How are we going to try and walk this out? I think we learned a little bit from this passage, uh, 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in all seasons, Preach the word in all seasons. So uh, what are we going to do here at Exeter Valley Church? We're going to preach the word in all seasons, right? And I may take a, a few weeks to, like, get us out of our Bible study of a book like Matthew, but we're not going to stay there for long, and we're always going to be anchored in Scripture, even when we preach topical sermons, because my number one job, you guys, my number one job is to preach the word in all seasons. We don't preach my ideas, We preach the ideas that come from God's divine word. That's what we're trying to do here. And if we got to go verse by verse to do it, then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to preach from the whole council of scripture. We're not going to skip the hard stuff. We're going to do as best as we can to understand it. And we're going to teach it to one another. Okay, so number one, we're going to preach the word in all seasons. That comes from 2 Timothy 4.2. And then I love this part, but how are we going to do it, you guys? Are we going to be Bible thumpers, pounding people, shaming people? Man, I heard a lot of misuse of scripture in the last presidential election. Did some of you, uh, did some of you see uh, a bit of that? We're not going to be Bible thumping. Look what it says uh, as you follow along uh, 2 Timothy 4 to uh, part B. With great patience and careful instruction. With great patience and careful instruction. We're going to preach the word in all seasons. We're going to be patient with people as they learn to like sound it out and figure it out. We're not going to pound people over the, over the head with the truths of Scripture. We're going to be patient and careful with them as we do it. Look, you guys, we need to be open to conversations rooted in a desire to learn and grow. We need to be open to conversations rooted in a desire to learn and grow, not to create argument or controversy, right? 
So we're going to boldly preach the word in all seasons, but we're going to do so in a way that, as Paul instructs Timothy, is both patient and careful. We should preach the word of God boldly, but with kindness. This is a, you may have noticed that boldness and kindness often run opposed. So we're going to try and thread that needle. We're going to be both patient and careful with our proclamation of the word of God. The next thing that I want to say is that it goes, go back, chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to continue in. He tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word of God by continuing in the knowledge of the scriptures that was handed down to you. By continuing in. Uh, later, uh, actually, I'm sorry, prior in, in uh, Paul's first letter um, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.20, he tells Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to you. That this is how he's supposed to handle doctrine. It's like guarding a deposit. So in that time, if you went away and you needed to look after a valuable possession that you couldn't like store in your knapsack as you walked down the road to Jerusalem or whatever, you gave it to a friend as a deposit, right? Kind of like a safe deposit box. You leave something in, in, um, valuable in a place and then you ask that they would you know, take care of it while you're, while you're gone. And the expectation is that the friend would keep the possession as is until you return. Do you know what I'm saying? One time I left, uh, I, I had a baseball card collection. There was a time and place where baseball cards were really valuable. I had a baseball card collection. I had a, a King Griffey Jr. upper deck rookie card. King Griffey Jr., the kid. It was awesome. Anyways, I, I left that card one time at my friend's house. And I was like, man, I got to leave it here. But please take, take good care of my King Griffey Jr. card, you know. So what do you think he did? I mean, did he like put like a mustache on King Griffey Jr., like put like new eyebrows or whatever? No, he took care of it, right? Like a treasured possession. This is what we have to do with scripture. We conserve scripture. We preserve the teachings in scripture. We're not making up new things. Like we may be progressive in our style of ministry. We may have like a, a modern design. We might sing newer songs, but we're not coming up with new interpretations of scripture. We're conserving the truth. We're continuing in the truths that were handed to Timothy. You guys, the truths that Timothy was handed to preach are the same for us today. They have not changed. Scripture says this, you guys, um, that uh, Isaiah 48, for example, um, talks about the timelessness of Scripture and its wisdom for all ages. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever, for all time. It never withers, it never fades, it never, it never dies in patches like my grass. Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 8, <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We continue in the gospel message. Th this idea of progressing the gospel message in order to fit our culture, completely unbiblical. We conserve the gospel message. We look back to its original meaning. We gotta always understand, what did they mean in that particular cultural context, and what does that mean for us today? We apply, uh, we, we put our culture up against scripture. We don't put scripture up against our culture. Does that make sense? We're not trying to mold our understandings to the culture that we live in. We're trying to apply the Bible to the culture that we live in. So we continue in just as Timothy was urged to do uh, by, um, by Paul. So <clears throat> listen, this idea of continuing in, it, it's not the way of tradition. It's not the way that seems good to us. It's in the way handed down to us by the God-inspired writers of the Holy Scriptures. We continue in the Scriptures and the knowledge that's been passed down to us. 
We can serve sound doctrine. So this brings me to my last point, you guys. Uh, Notice the phrase I titled this sermon with, obedient to the word of God. I did not say, we will know the word of God. Because knowledge without action is empty. Jesus has taught us this in the book of Matthew, right? So my last point is that we want to be, we want to not just hear the word of scripture, we want to actually do what it says. Have you heard that the most common complaint secular society has of Christians is that they're, they're, they don't do what they believe, right? They're hypocritical in that way. This is, what, this is society's number one complaint about Christians. Christians who don't do what the word of God says. We gotta be not just hearers, but doers. James 1, through 25 says this. This is a, a, another uh, a book in the New Testament. James, the half-brother of Jesus. I've talked about him before. Um, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You're deceiving yourself if all you do is listen to the word. Do what it says. Is that complicated? No. Is it hard to understand? No. Is it hard to do? Yes. Because we're imperfect. And this is why you need Jesus. You need Jesus in order to do what he's asked you to do. Moving on. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the uh, perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We don't get any rewards for hearing the word of God. The blessing comes when we do the word of God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is who will be counted as a member of his kingdom. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. 1 John 2, 4, whoever says they know him and does not do what he says is a liar. Deceiving themselves, deceiving others. Whoever says they know him and does not do what he says is a liar. We don't just want to know the word of God, you guys. We want to do the word of God. I challenge you, do what you know to be right based on God's word. Do it minute by minute, day by day, so that it might go well with you, so that you might receive a life of blessing and honor. There's a train wreck out there if you disobey, and you could avoid it. You could avoid it by obeying the words of God. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Uh, This is the, I stand up here every Sunday after, and I Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Listen, you guys, it's not just about knowing the words of God as written in the scriptures. It's about obeying the words of God. We'll be judged by our obedience. This should give us a great sense of, like, awe and fear. It's really hard to do the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. But again... Don't forget the, the aid, the empowerment that we have to do the things that Jesus did, his Holy Spirit living inside us, the, life, uh, the lifeblood of believers. So uh, what kind of church is this anyways? <laughs> and, and like I said, there's lots of ways to describe a church, right? And uh, I, I'm not excited to put labels on us, not necessarily. I think that's kind of hard. If you have any confusion, here's my recommendation. Stick around for a little while and you see what we actually believe. 
You'll see what we actually believe by hanging out with us, right? It's one thing for me to say this. Hopefully, as you relate to us more, you'll start, we can flesh these things out. We can have conversations about the nuanced aspects of our beliefs and our values. But that being said, here's what I know for sure, you guys. We're the kind of church that holds a high view of Scripture. We believe that the Bible represents God's divine word to us. We believe that it will go well with us when we submit our lives to its authority and we do what it commands us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, <laughs> I love you for lots of reasons, but today, uh, in particular, because you gave us your word. You didn't leave us alone. Uh, you, you gave us a, a good little storybook that tells us how to live, that trains us up in righteousness, Lord. And I just want to say out loud, because it feels like it's something to, to contend for and to fight for. Lord, we believe that your word, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, is divine. We believe these words to be from you to us, and we want to try to do everything we can to obey the commands that are in this book. Jesus, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do it on our own, Lord. We need your spirit to empower us to do the things that only you could do. We need repentance. We need your forgiveness. We need you to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, God, because we've fallen short. But we want to obey the commands that you've put forward in your book. It's in your name we pray. Amen.